listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Let's, uh, let's put our hands out. I always like to invite Holy Spirit, you know? He's good. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. Even if we don't invite you, you're still here, but we open up our hearts. And right now, we just, we just focus on the truth that you're inside of us. Those that have been joined to the Lord are one spirit with him. So Lord, we just acknowledge that we are one spirit with you. We're so one with you that you call us your body. Mm. Deepen our revelation this morning of who you are and who we are. All right, Jesus, hallelujah. Okay, Um, I'm so honored. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for asking me to speak today. I just wanna prepare you a little bit. I'm gonna get a little deep in theology because I like theology. Um, As I was prepping yesterday and praying, things just started flowing out of me uh, all on my notes, and I'm like, I've got to share all this stuff. Um, You know, I've been a Christian for most of my life, Uh, been to many different uh, backgrounds of Christianity, different denominations, and something that I've noticed, it's not all the time, but a lot of the times, uh, in charismatic circles, which we're charismatics, but in charismatic circles, it seems as though that there's more of a focus on experiencing the Holy Spirit and less of a focus on good sound theology and doctrine. And then, when you go to other churches that may not be of the charismatic persuasion, there could be a lot of theological pursuit, but maybe not as much open, a heart being open to experiencing the Holy Spirit. And what I love about this Frisco community is that we are extreme on both. You know, uh, to have really good balance is not to just get in the middle and have a little bit of both. It is just to have extreme encounter and extreme rooted in scripture. You know, we don't want to go after spiritual experiences without being rooted in scriptures. Amen? But we also don't want to go after scriptures without holding the hands of Jesus, who according to the scriptures is the word of God. So for someone who's more in your head most of the time, first off, I can relate. If you're in here and you're kind of more leaning in your intellect more than your heart, if you will, this is a good place for you. Leaning in your, and you want more experience, because I actually talk to a lot of different people who, who feel that way, but they're like, I want to encounter the Lord more. So yeah, this is a good place for you. And if you're someone in here that says, I just want to encounter Jesus, I don't really need theology, this is a good place for you. But I'd like to suggest to you that that was a theological statement. Um, You know, theology is simply our perspective of God. 
So everyone has a perspective of God. Everyone has a theology. And I think it's very important to keep cheering up our theology, our perspective of God, because we're either going in one direction or the other. We're either going more over here to a crappy theology or we're going over here to a happy theology. <laughs> Amen. Um, uh, G.K. Chesterton said, in truth, there are only two kinds of people, those who accept dogmas and know it and those who accept dogmas and don't know it. Having said all that, my prayer is not necessarily for you to grasp what is taught, but what is caught. I, I really want that. I, I, I want the like Apostle Paul's prayer for all of us that we would have our hearts enlightened, flooded with light so that we would know the hope of our calling and how glorious this inheritance is in the saints. I love the prophetic, and I've also told that I lean heavily in, a, in an apostolic bent as well, and I think that's true. And I think what happens is when you're, when you like the prophetic, but you also think apostolically, what's happening is I, I'm not just trying to hear what God's saying to me. I'm trying to hear what is God saying to our family, our culture here? What's God saying to our community? And I like to look at patterns. I like to look at, okay, what's been happening the last few Sundays? Because I don't want to just say what I want to say. I want to say what God wants to say, amen? Um. Lately, Jeremy has been doing an amazing job uh, setting foundations because we've been going after the gifts of the Spirit and miracles, signs and wonders. And, you know, last Sunday was amazing, him setting foundations on, you know, the nature of our Papa. Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. It's the Father in him that does the works. And, um, and then, I guess Rondell isn't here, obviously, but last Sunday, who was here last Sunday? with Rondell up here, just spontaneously. Um, how's that song go? I wrote, I wrote down the lyrics. Oh yeah, you put that ring upon my finger. You put that robe upon my back. You put your arms around me and said, you're my son, my daughter, don't forget. You know, it was amazing. Um, so today I wanna continue on that theme. I wanna do a deep dive into what our Father did to pursue us and bring us home. And now that we're home, what does it mean to live from identity, not toward identity? From the new creation, not toward the new creation. From the new covenant, not toward the new covenant. Operating from heaven, not toward heaven. From the it is finish line is what I like to say. Living from our union with Christ as sons and daughters, not unto our union. We'll never escape his presence. <laughs> anyway, so if we're going, so if that's what we're going to do today, talking about uh, what he accomplished, I think it would be important for us to open up the Holy Scriptures and see what he accomplished, right? The reason why I want to do this is because years ago when I was, I just had this season of time where I was just picking apart the Pauline epistles, just the, the letters of Paul, and I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before in this way. 
when he would talk about the cross, when he would talk about the death, the resurrection, the ascension, he did it in a way to where he included us in that. He didn't write it as if when Jesus did what he did, he did it apart from us. So like, that's, how, that's why Paul kept continuing to say, I was crucified with Christ. We died with Christ. We were raised with Christ. So Paul's focus was not just on what happened in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. is what happened to you in his life, resurrection, and ascension. See, the cross transformed us. It didn't change God. See, this is why this is important to go over. There's many reasons why it's important, but here are two simple ones I wrote down. It helps us see the Father rightly, and it helps us to see us more rightly. It helps us to see the Father more rightly because when we start to see the gospel, I believe the correct way through a Pauline lens, the cross was not to change the Father so he could accept you. It was to change you so that you could accept the Father. It was not so that the Father could see you through Christ. It was so that through Christ, you could see the Father. In Colossians 3, it says we've been raised with Christ. And then it says, you are hidden with Christ in God. Notice it doesn't say with Christ from God. The cross is the biggest symbol of your significance. It is not a symbol of your sinfulness. The cross says you are worth it. You are worth dying for. You are worth being pursued. You had the highest value. Every single one of you have the highest value. That's what the cross means. Mm. So what I begin to see is that somehow mystically in the incarnation of Christ, he united himself to our humanity so that whatever happened to him happened to our humanity. This is what the early church called the hypostatic union. Raise your hand if you ever heard that before. Oh, nice, nice. Um, let's just say that together. Hypostatic union. That comes from the Greek word hypostasis, which basically means like substance or nature. And so basically the hypostatic union is the union of human nature and divine nature in one person who, of course, is Christ. Paul said in his first letter to Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. So Christ partook of human nature so that we can be partakers of divine nature. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We are sons and daughters of God. Our identity went from sin to son. We have the DNA of Abba. DNA, divine nature of Abba. (laughs) He changed our desires. Our default settings is not sin. That's not our default settings. That's not who we are. What I've noticed about our amazing dad is the way in which he defeats the things that are not of him. 
I've pondered this a lot. It's interesting how he does these things. He's so humble that he'll actually submit to things that are not of him so that he can destroy it from the inside. To heal us from the inside, redeem us from the inside. Does God like death? Of course not. I have come to give life and give it abundantly. I didn't come to, or the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So how does God defeat death? He literally goes into death and defeats it from the inside. Does God like sacrifice? No, but he becomes a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Does God like sin? Of course not. But he who knew no sin became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God in him. He put on our flesh to heal us from the inside. I, uh, I like this song by this worship leader called Godfrey Bertle. I'm going to sing a little bit of it. It goes, I came into the darkness of religion to expose its own illusion, entered into your confusion, took the abuse of your rejection, turned it all into your adoption, and raised you up with me to heaven. That's where you are in Yeshua. In Yeshua. We are in Yeshua. Shambhalasa. There is nothing that intoxicates you more than the gospel. I'm telling you right now. It's like there is, there, there's nothing like the love of God. And I, I just, I, I got a down, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. And I do not want to shame anyone. Do not raise your hand at all. But I want you to know, if you are addicted to drugs or have any addiction, there is a fix that will fix it. There is a fix that will fix that. And it is, it is being intoxicated by the pursuit of this loving father. There's nothing that tastes better than him. <clears throat> Shaba. Christ wrapped himself in our flesh and accomplished for us what the first Adam failed. <clears throat> The father prepared a bride for Adam, drawing Eve from his side, the mother of all who live. And so the father prepared a bride from the second Adam's side, Jesus. <sighs> drawing us from his side for the life of all who live. And I love what Jeremy likes to say. And the tree that Jesus died on is more powerful than the tree Adam ate from. He united himself to us, carried us to the cross, raised us up on the third day, and we ascended with him. There's someone named Melito of Sardis. Melito of Sardis. He was, he, he was around 190 AD. He was a grand disciple of, the, of the John the, the Beloved, the Apostle John. He says, it's actually, on, he has a work called On Pascha, which means Passover. 
and he's basically speaking as Jesus. He says, it is I, says the Christ. I am he who destroys death and triumphs over the enemy and crushes Hades and binds the strong man and bears humanity off to the heavenly heights. I am the Passover of salvation. I am the lamb slaughtered for you. I am your ransom. I am your life. I am your light. I am your salvation. I am your resurrection. I raise you up by my right hand, leading you to the heights of heaven. There I show you the everlasting father. Another church father, I love him, St. Irenaeus. Give me a whoop if you know who Irenaeus is. Okay. Um, he was also a grand disciple of the Apostle John, the one that put his head on Jesus' chest. Um, I love this quote. The word was made flesh and conquered by Adam, that which by Adam had stricken us down, and to abolish death and make man alive. He manifested the resurrection, himself becoming the firstborn of the dead, and in himself, raising up man that was fallen, lifting him up far above the heaven into the right hand of the glory of the Father, even as God promised by the prophet, saying, and I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, that is, the flesh that was from David. And this our Lord Jesus Christ truly fulfilled when he gloriously achieved our redemption, truly raising us up, setting us free unto the Father. I love that. I love his interpretation of the tabernacle of David being the gospel. The fallen flesh of David, the fallen flesh of humanity. I will restore that fallen tent. Whew. And now we're the tent. Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, I'm getting happy here. Okay. So, uh, so, of course, those early church fathers were obviously reading their scriptures. Um, and what I want to do is I want to open up some scriptures to see. It, it's all over the New Testament, but specifically I want to look at some stuff from the Apostle Paul and see how he, you know, some stuff that he talks about where we can focus on the fact that 2,000 years ago we bled into one. Um, but before we do this, I want to define two different words because obviously the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And when I found out the definition of these Greek words, it changed the way that I saw the gospel in just a wonderfully beautiful way. Um, the first Greek word is, is sin. Uh, sin is the Greek word hamartia, or you could say hamartia. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. No, I don't like, I always think that when I say it that way, so I don't want to do that. Um, but uh, hamartia, uh, let's say that together, hamartia. Um, it's made up of two parts. Ha is an aspired alpha, which is a negation, like an un or a dis. And martia from the Greek root miros, which means form, origin, or being. So the fundamental meaning is negation of origin or being. So yes, it's about, we've heard, miss the mark. But the mark is not necessarily perfect moral behavior. The mark is the truth of your being. Can you put that slide up there? Y'all know who theologian N.T. Wright is, right? Some of you guys and gals. The Greek word for missing the mark, which refers to shooting an arrow at a target and missing is hamartia. It is the word we translate as sin. Sin is when something happens to your image bearingness. Your humanness, it starts to deconstruct. You are not being the human being you are made to be. And the sign 
of that deconstruction is that you do things which are actually less than fully human. You are missing the mark of your genuine humanness. The truth of your being. Was Jesus fully human? Was he without sin? So to be fully human is to be without sin. So sin is not really about bad moral behavior or falling behavior. It's about fallen identity. Jeremy has preached this wonderfully so many times. He was, he was crucified on the, on the hill of the skull to crucify our old thinking so that we can think rightly about the Father. And see, as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so, so is he, right? So we might as well think the truth because the, the perception that we have of ourselves, we will act accordingly, even if the perception we have about ourselves is a lie. The other Greek word is the word, it's actually um, S-Y-N is the spelling of it. Um, it's actually pronounced soon, but it's a primary preposition that means union, like, uh, like synchronized swimming, which I've never tried. But it's, um, you know, like it's, it's, it's synchronized swimming um, well, me and Ryan Adair tried once time, one time. I tried to hold him up, but it didn't work. But okay, so, um, no, but uh, synchronized swimming is like, you know, it's, it's, it's swimming in, in unity, you know, synergy, you know, in sync, they're harmonizing. Um, you know, it might sound crazy, but it ain't no lie, baby, bye, bye, bye. You know, I was going to do the whole dance. I'm running out of time. I'm sorry. Um, don't want to be a fool for you. Just another player in your game or two. You know. <laughs> Anyways. Um, you say bye-bye-bye to your old sinful selves. Just remember that. Just say bye-bye to your old selves. Because it ain't no lie. Baby. Woo. Okay. So what I love about this you're crucified with, so like, this is why this is important. Because when it talks about we were crucified with Christ, it's not just with. Like, the, 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 the preposition S-Y-N is attached to it. So when it says I was crucified with Christ, what it actually means is I became one with Christ when Christ was crucified. I was raised with Christ. I was one with Christ when Christ was raised. Oh, Jesus, that's amazing. Thank you. Uh, so... Let's, I want to, whoa, okay. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Okay, open up to Romans chapter six. Maybe if I'm allowed to preach again, I can do part two because I don't know if I'm going to finish this. <clears throat> Romans chapter six. Oh, the bliss of Romans six. Oh my gosh. That is your, that is your old man's death sentence. That's, your, that's the letter of your old man's, like, like he's done. Here, let's go through this. Verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, let's think about this real quick. With understanding what sin actually means, how can we continue to live 
and a false identity. Like, I'm a human being. We're human beings. We're not dogs or cats. So if we acted like dogs and cats, doesn't mean we're dogs and cats. It means we're still human beings. In other words, like, we're new creations. Like, we're, we're in Christ. Like, like, how do we, like, if we, if we act something contrary, it's not the truth. Like, how can you live in an old identity when literally it died? It died with Christ. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, baptizo, or baptizo, that's the Greek word, into Christ, which means immersed. You can just, baptize means immersed. So you could say, do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ, Jesus, were immersed into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by immersion into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too would walk in newness of life. So there's two Greek words, neo and there's kainos. Neo means new like if I got a new pair of shoes. But kainos is like a brand new species of, or it's like something that's never existed before. And that's the word new there. It's newness of life. It's not an upgrade. Jesus didn't come to upgrade us. He came to, um, to, to unite us with himself and have our old self die and a brand new creation rise. He didn't just upgrade. It's a new you. Look at your neighbor and say, you knew. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we, are certainly be, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, we know, we know that our old self was crucified with him, was united with him when he was crucified. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Think about it. We're no longer... We no longer have the body of sin. We have the body of the son. Like we are the body of the son. We're not the body of sin. The body of the son absorbed the body of sin and died on the cross and left it in the grave. And when he rose up, it was just you, the new creation self. I'm getting really fired up here. Um, okay. In order the body of sin might be brought to nothing brought to nothing. It doesn't exist. We might think it does, and we need to maybe go through, you know, inner, whatever. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. A lot of, we're shadow boxing a defeated foe a lot of times, if I'm honest. For one who has, uh, verse, let's go to verse seven. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. Now, verse 11 is what changed my life. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. You also, because you also was with him. When that happened, <laughs> I know that's bad grammar, um, but I like it. Okay, um, okay. I remember looking at this one time, and I just I remember thinking like, is this reality? And I love we were singing about you were my reality today, and I was just thinking about reality. 
Like, what's reality? And I remember years ago thinking, Lord, is this reality? Like, how in the world was I crucified with you? You know, like, it might have something to do with in Christ, all things are held together, and Christ being God is not limited by time or space. That makes sense. Is it quantum entanglement? Maybe. I don't know. I've looked into that. I don't know. But it's happened. It, it did happen. And I, but I really wanted to know if it's reality, and I felt like the Lord told me to go through every verse in Romans 6 and just look up every Greek word. And when I got to verse 11, it, the word consider there is interesting. It says, it's, 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 uh, in other translations, it'll say reckon. But considered is the word logizomai. Can we say that? Logizomai. Um, the Strong's Concordance definition, if you look down like at the bottom, it was, so, it was so wonderful with what I needed because I asked the Lord this and I go down here and it, said, it literally says, this word deals with reality. If I reckon or consider, logizomai, that my, it says this, that my bank book has $25 in it, then it has $25 in it. Otherwise, I am deceiving myself. This word refers more to fact than opinion. If we look at who we are and we say that we are not that, then we're deceiving ourselves. Like looking into the mirror is the, the new covenant, you know? Hmm. Sin is actually thinking less of who you really are. Sin is just thinking less of who you are. And that's why when we think that way, we do things that taste not as good as who he is. Why would I want dirt if I can have a steak? Okay, so I'm going to kind of close here, unless I can go five minutes over. I don't know. Is that okay? Okay. Um, so, so how does living from union identity affect our everyday practical lives? There's a lot of things I wanted to go into. I don't have enough time, but I do want to, like, suggest, like, homework for all of us to think about, like, the fact that, like, wherever I go, he goes, in every area of life, and I have his mind, so thinking his thoughts is thinking my thoughts, basically. Like, what kind of strategies can he give me? I mean, literally, wherever I go, he goes. Reminds me of, uh, remember that? My buddy. My buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. My buddy and me. Do you remember that? Am I the only one? My Jesus and me, my papa and me. Okay, so... Um, so what does that look like? Um, like, how does that affect the way we pray? Like, how does the gospel living from union affect the way we pray? Are we praying to open up the heavens, or are we praying because the heavens are open? Are we praying as if God is far up there in heaven, and if we say the right words, he'll come down. Or are we praying from God, seated in heaven, from within us? Mm. 
what is it like when we pray for the sick? Do we pray begging God? Or do we pray with authority? Again, do we pray to get God to come or is he already here? Every religion's based on what we must do to get God to come. Jesus got rid of religion by bringing God to us. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. You know, um, there's a lot that I have, but I don't have time anymore to really just open it up. Um, but what we want to do, we definitely want to uh, open up this again for, um, can those guys that were up here before come forward again? Um, and I want to, uh, can we stand? I want to pray for us. And then we will end. I know it seems abrupt, but I ran out of time. Um, yeah. Um, I was going to land it. No, anyways. All right. Um, yeah. Father God, Papa, right now I ask that you would invade the reality of every heart in this room. That every heart in this room would become aware of the fact that you, that you pursue us. As a perfect Papa, you pursue us. All roads don't lead to you, but you will go down any road to find us. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I just, I just feel like I want to encourage you guys to spend, even if it's five minutes a day, to just meditate on the one who is within. To meditate on the one who is within. And let him to continue to reveal who he is within you and who you are within him. And no matter where you go, he goes. In the marketplace, I pray for people in the marketplace that would get strategies from heaven this week. I feel like there's several people that had a rough week last week with the work. And I, and I actually feel like someone in here, maybe a few, felt under, misunderstood because you had ideas. And I just, I just want to encourage you, obviously, to walk in humility and submit to authority and stuff. But I just believe that there's there's ideas that God's given you that's good. And I want to pray for, and also I, I speak to mothers and fathers that are in, they're just in the, midst of mundane, in, the, in the midst of the mundane, that we would operate from a place of union and practice the presence of God, even when changing diapers or whatever. <laughs> but like, you know, there's just, there's something about Every place you go is a sacred place because the sacred one lives in you.
In Jesus' name.